Welcome to the Jewelers Podcast, the podcast that talks to jewelers, retailers, and industry supporters about their experiences and insights into the jewelry industry. Thanks so much for tuning in. Make sure that you hit subscribe on your favorite podcast player and feel free to follow us on all of our socials. We're on Instagram and Facebook. G'day, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of the Jewelers Podcast. Today, we're joined by Tim Goodman, who's the CEO of YourDiamonds.com. Your Diamonds is a brand new business that's going live at the moment, and it's really, really interesting. So make sure that you head to their website after you've listened to the show, and you can discover more about YourDiamonds.com for yourself. And a little reminder from us, don't forget to book your ticket for the Melbourne Jewelry Industry Fair this August on the 1st and 2nd. It's going to be a really, really beautiful event, and also it's hybrid, so if If you can't attend physically, although we'd absolutely love you to be there face to face, but if you can't, you can actually still log in online and see all of our exhibitors online as well through the digital platform. So make sure that you head to www.juryindustryfair.com and grab your ticket, whether that be virtual or physical, and we'll see you there. Now, please enjoy our next episode with Tim. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of the Jewelers Podcast. We are so excited today because we are joined by Tim Goodman, who is the CEO of YourDiamonds.com. Tim, welcome to the Jewelers Podcast. Thank you. Yeah, welcome along, Tim. It's so good to have you here uh, joining us on Zoom. Uh, how are you today? Great. Thanks, Brett. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Tim, you have got such a, a huge history, a long-standing uh, history in the jewellery industry from all over the world. Tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, well, it's a, it's, it's a long and, and uh, some say interesting story. I started work in January 1971, straight out of school. My first job at an auction house in Sydney was to clean the lavatory, uh, which is something I've never forgotten. I, I, I did a good <laughs> job. It was a very clean lavatory by the time I finished um, over a week or so. Um, anyway, um, I, I, I worked um, in this auction house called FR Strange, which some of the old timers would remember. Uh, and I, I learned how to sell industrial and earth moving equipment. Um, it was a fascinating experience, but I was yearning to go to London to work for Sotheby's. I had connections there uh, and I was able to get a job uh, doing work experience at the age of 21 in London at Sotheby's. And that was a life-changing experience. At Sotheby's was like something out of a Charles Dickens story mm. with sort of 19th century characters, um, um, you know, auctioneers that used to fall asleep in the rostrum and had to be woken up by 80-year-old porters. I mean, <laughs> it, it was just absolutely bizarre, but a wonderful experience. I came back to Australia and worked for uh, another well-known firm called Jeff K. Gray uh, as, a fi- as a junior fine art auctioneer. And I was always very interested in jewellery. My uncle was a diamond merchant. Um, He was the third generation of a family of jewellers, came out from England in the 1840s, uh, 1860s. And uh, uh, I was fascinated by the diamond trade. And so I sort of crept into the jewellery auction business. And um, eventually, uh, when I left Jeff K. Gray in my mid-20s, I went into partnership in a store that other old timers would remember called Hudson's Jewelry in Castle Race Street. I had this marvelous year with an old Hungarian gentleman who was a Holocaust survivor, uh, learning the, the traps uh, in the jewelry business. Um, after I sold my share in that business, I then worked for Ken Marks. And Ken had, as, as you would all know, um, was the proprietor, 
second or third generation, second generation of Percy Marks, uh, now run by Ken's son, Cameron. Uh, and I had a job in the basement of Percy Marks, down in the dungeon, with a little sort of <laughs> desk and a phone in the corner. Um, and, and I was assisting the company with its estate jewellery dealings, valuations, uh, et cetera. That was another great experience. The, the magnificent estate jewellery that came across that counter in the mid-70s was, was amazing. Um, so the sort of thing that you would see at Geneva in auctions today at some mm -hmm. of these Christie's. The urge to do my own thing was always, um, was always there. And, and I, I opened my own auction business in the late 70s in the Trust Building, which was on the corner of King and Castle Street, the, the centre of the Australian jewellery universe, um, <laughs> in, in the, on the floor below my uncle Foster, the diamond merchant. Um, and the old characters, I mean, some of them would, some of the old timers would remember. The still there, maybe. Some of them are still there. Most of them, unfortunately, Reg Wickers died the other day. He was one of the great characters, not always for the right reasons, but <laughs> wonderful, wonderful fellow. And uh, Ludwig Schmidt, the manufacturer, um, was a, a, a married to uh, Karen, who worked for Ken Marks. I mean, it was the most extraordinary sort of scene in the 1970s. Castle Ray Street was like 47th Street. I used to schlep diamonds up and down that road and make five or 10%. You know, I'd, I'd start up the, the downtown end um, where people, you know, people would bring in their diamonds and someone would buy them and want to, you know, they were beneath them. So they, they didn't want to deal with them because they were good enough or whatever, for whatever reason. And I would find them on consignment. I'd schlep them down the road to the wheeler dealer end of town, which was the sort of Park Street end of Castle Ray Street. And I'd offload them to Leo Steiner, um, Fred Newman, George Farkish, Irvin um, Katz. I mean, all sorts of these wonderful old dealers who are almost all of them Holocaust survivors. They were a wonderful breed of people, many of them Hungarians, many of them came out on a ship in 1952 and another one in 1954. Uh, and that ship was also occupied by Albert Scheinberg Stocks and Holdings, Leo Rappaport, who was the Lord Mayor of Sydney, Sir Paul Stresser, who was the famous property developer. All these characters from the 1970s who were really um, very well known, very highly accomplished people. It, it was an era that was, people used to write a check yeah. Whereas they don't do that anymore. No, but it sounds like you should write a movie about this because I can see it in my head, this, you know, bustling <laughs> street, you know, with people running up and down in their suits, but, you know, their 70s suits carrying diamonds and, you know, trading. I think it would make a great movie. <laughs> one of the, well, it, look, the, some of the stories are fantastic. I mean, one of the classics, Leo Steiner was a wonderful dealer in Castle Ray Street, Mr. Secondhand Diamond. And so his classic question was, uh, Mr. Goodman, how much did you pay? And I'd make up some price, $10,000, and always the same answer, how much do you want to lose? <laughs> <laughs> and, and we'd both laugh, and we'd end up doing a deal, and it, but it was just the same sort of ritual every time. Every time. Marvellous. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so great. Do you have a favourite memory from those times? I'm sure there's lots, but do you have a favourite? Yes, I do. I do. Um, so... Uh, one day, one of the people that I did business with called me and, and invited me to, to see them. They said, we have found 
a diamond in our safe and it's been there for many years and it's not, for some reason, it's not in our stock book. But it's a weird diamond, it's a weird colour. And in those days, fancy coloured diamonds were just starting to sort of gain interest in the States, but not here in Australia. Anyway, out came a diamond, which was just under four carats, and it was the brightest yellow I'd ever seen. And although I had never seen what they, what they used to call a canary yellow diamond, I knew this was, this was it. It was just stunningly beautiful. It was clean. Um, it, it, in, you know, in the old days, we'd call it diamond clean or marked. Um, it was clean. I guess in today's language, it would have been VBS1 or even internally flawless, I don't know. Um, but it was a beautiful, bright yellow stone. And so I, I had no idea what it was worth. He said, would you like to buy it? So I, I said, well, yes, I'd love to. How much do you want for it? Well, $6,000, he obviously plucked a figure out there. And I went, my God, I'm going to buy this stone. But I didn't have <laughs> $6,000. So I ran, ran up to the Banque Nationale de Paris where my mate, uh, a French count, was my account manager. And I said to him, um, I need this money to buy this stone. So um, he said, all right, well, you can have an overdraft. You can go downstairs, I'll press a button and it'll be approved. So I went down and got the $6,000, bought the stone, I schlepped it down the other end of, of the street. I was feeling so insecure. I thought, what have I done? I must be mad. I've, I've taken this huge gamble. So I went up to see Fred Newman. Now, Fred Newman, um, whose son owns and operates Mondial now, Fred Newman was a wonderful uh, trader um, and his partner, Danny Shavit. But Fred had an eye for exceptional quality. You know, particularly coloured stones. His his eye was better than just about anybody. So I I said I've got this you know funny coloured diamond. Fred, are you interested? And he sort of looked at me. Oh God, this young fellow. He's got another sort of horrible thing. So he, <laughs> I opened up the packet. It was in a little white packet, diamond packet. And I'll never forget Fred's eyes nearly fell out of his head. <laughs> I knew the moment I saw the expression on his face, I knew I was okay. My heart stopped. Palpitating. My good investment, Tim. Good investment. <laughs> I, I then, I then just sat back for the ride, and and anyway, I won't bore you with the whole story. But Fred yeah. and I then proceeded over an hour to negotiate a price, um, where I where I was very relaxed because I knew that I had been right, and I got a hundred percent profit that day, which was a, in those days six thousand dollars for a boy age twenty three or four. It was, it was you know amazing. That's huge, That's huge money. To, to invest in in a in a in a gamble. <laughs> it was, and it paid off. But it was a great experience. Yeah, how fantastic! Mm. Educated guess, I suppose. Like it wasn't completely blind. You, you knew what you were looking at. You knew it was clean, eye clean. Well, well, Brent, I didn't. The, the color, you know, the, the fancy diamonds are now the most popular diamonds, and we're going to talk about pinks later on in the conversation. But in those days, no one in Australia knew knew anything about. Uh, coloured stones. I didn't know anything about them. I just knew this was exceptional mm. and I took a punt. So Tim, your your experiences have been so diverse in, in what you've sort of experienced over the many, many years and over many, many countries, but you've got um, clearly a really strong history in diamonds specifically and also estate and antique jewellery. Are they your passions, do you think, within the industry, those two, those two categories? Look, I've, I've always been interested in coloured coloured stones, uh, fancy coloured diamonds or, or coloured um, um, uh, other coloured stones. 
mm. particularly um, particularly sapphire and emerald, um, and and black opal. I mean, I learned black opal from Ken Marks, the the, the great master, and um, black opal was is probably the most complex thing to learn. But I got I had good experience and wonderful product to learn on. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm but and, and also um, I love things of beauty, whether it's jewelry or art or, or a classic car. Uh, and so some period jewelry is absolutely stunning. I, I love Art Nouveau jewelry, you know, sort of Parisian jewelry, early 20th century with pearls and enamel and all that sort of thing. Um, and so, um, uh, or, or, you know, eight, an eight, a lovely piece of 18th century Georgian jewelry is, 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 is a wonderful thing, very rare to find in this country. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, over the years, the jewellery has been one of my strong points, jewellery and Australian pictures. And uh, I, my auction business grew from little, a little office that I shared with a pearl trader in the trust building to um, I had auction houses all over Australia in the end, including Sotheby's Australia and uh, Bonhams and Goodman, and Leonard Joel in Melbourne, Theodore Bruce in Adelaide. Uh, we, we had the largest art and jewellery auction enterprise in the Southern Hemisphere. Wow, wow. For me, hmm. um, I was just fascinated by the auctioneering industry from day one. And I've been had the great privilege of working with some of the great specialists in this country, many of whom are still in the, in the industry, people who hmm. either worked with, for me or with me. Um, and uh, it's, it's been a great, a, a wonderful experience. Hmm. So tell us about your, your new your new venture, because um, you don't have auction houses around Australia anymore, I don't think, but you've now got a fantastic new company. Um, tell us a bit about that. Well, well, Laura, yes, indeed. Thank you for the question. I mean, I sold out in 2011. I, I did management buyouts with all the auction houses um, and uh, to people who still own and operate them. Um, and uh, I, I've had some time off, but I, I couldn't... I, I just can't retire. I just, the, the thought of retiring is, is revolting. I mean, it's just, I, God, what would you do with yourself? Even um, though you're so, in beautiful Byron and you could just relax and be by the beach, no? <laughs> I can't, I could never do that. Wouldn't matter where I was. I mean, being in By Byron Bay, well, not actually in the village, but just out of town is fabulous because I can punctuate my busy work day with going for a swim or a, a do a bit of diving and fishing. I mean, it's it's a wonderful way to work, particularly since COVID. I mean, the last 12 months, uh, I, did, I wasn't depressed. Uh, I was excited because all I could see were opportunities. Mm. And, and, and I think that, you know, my old grandfather used to say that, you know, when, when there's um, pain, uh, in economic pain, there's always opportunity. And uh, mm. I've always thrived during recessions, for example. Mm. Last year, uh, and, and, and so far this year, I have met so many people uh, online. I'm not talking about dating services. I'm talking about, <laughs> you know, business, business people um, with whom I've, I've developed wonderful relationships with. Um, mm -hmm. I'm doing business with them. I'm signing contracts. Um, I just signed a contract and paid a, an Israeli firm the other day um, a, about $50,000. I've never met these people. Yeah. I've bought some products and services from them. Um, and, 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 you know, just recently, um, um, my new venture, which is yourdiamonds.com, we've just, um, uh, we've just uh, successfully had two 
um, three in, in new investors. Uh, we've just uh, appointed uh, our new chairman, who is the former head of Tiffany & Co in New York. Wow. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it is really quite extraordinary. And, um, and, and, and also the daughter of the King of Bahrain, uh, the Sheikh Adaya, she has just joined our board and she's invested. She's the latest shareholder in our business. Now, I haven't met Sheikh Adaya, but uh, we certainly, we've had, you know, numerous Zoom, we, we've met online, we you know, we've met on, yeah. online. Face to face, but digitally. Face to face. Hmm. And, and frankly, I would prefer this because, you know, if, if, if it was different, I'd have to go, I'd get on an aeroplane. I'd have to go to all the expense and the, and the physical strain and the air pollution and all that to go and have a meeting with somebody. Whereas now I can do it in an, over an hour. It, it is fantastic, Laura. I must agree with you. I'm really enjoying that people are embracing the online technologies because I'm saving so much time in commuting and getting around and we're dealing in real time and then we get on with our day and it's, mm. um, it's not disrupting our business. So. We, and we found the same thing, Tim, you know, from, from our business, you know, Brett, Brett and my business together, we've, we've been able to meet with people like yourself and, uh, you know, the, the brand ambassadors for the Natural Diamond Council and, you know, a whole pile of these amazing people overseas that we would never have been able to meet, you know, otherwise. So it's been, it's, uh, yeah, couldn't agree with you more. It's been absolutely fascinating to see what we've been able to achieve from our bedrooms in most cases um, since COVID. Yeah, it's that's right. I mean, you know, the the number of, of serious meetings I've had where I put on what I call my fancy dress outfit, <laughs> a striped shirt and occasionally a tie, but below the waist I've got a pair of board shorts on and no shoes. You know, I mean, it's it's fantastic. The new, um, the new look. <laughs> that's well, it's it's the new look, the new feel. But anyway, look, the, the, this this talk about what's happened in the last twelve months brings me to the subject of digital technology and the jewellery industry, which mm. I'm sure your listeners are going to be interested. There are a whole bunch of problems in the, in the diamond industry. And I'm talking about the diamond industry. I'm not talking about coloured stones because they are the, the, the jewellery business of coloured stones is different. Mm -hmm. Diamonds, the diamond industry is by far the biggest sector of the jewellery industry. It's worth about $80 billion a year retail. Uh, there's about $24 billion worth of polished diamonds uh, uh, manufactured every year, but mostly in Surat in India. Mm -hmm. um, there's about $12 or $13 billion in bank debt to diamond tears around the world. It's a big business. There are hundreds of thousands of people employed in the diamond industry, including retailers, right down the supply chain to the mines. Um, I'm, not, I'm sure everybody knows all that stuff, but the thing is that um, unlike coloured stone uh, jewellery, diamonds are basically a mineral which can be scientifically uh, analysed by laboratories like Gemological Institute of America. Now, coloured stones can too, but the, the thing with coloured stones is until someone works out a way to scientifically um, work out colours um, with, with coloured stones, they're always, it's always going to be a problem. But with diamonds, we can now define in great detail, not just the four Cs, but as, if, as, as your listeners will know, there are lots of other characteristics and the technology. Sorry about the sound of birds, but there are two swallows 
getting mixed they're up. In they, your, they're in your room. I can see them flying around. <laughs> yeah, they think it's spring and I think they think that they're going to mate, but they're getting mixed up. <laughs> um, anyway, so the joys of living in the bush. But anyway, so so um, with, with, with diamonds, the technology is getting very close to being able to map uh, hundreds of different data points on the interior of the dog. Anyway, yeah. without going into it's all the, the detail. DNA, isn't it? This is the DNA of the stone. They're finding out more and more about it and they can literally DNA map now every single stone so that it's uniquely traceable. That's correct. They can yeah. take a piece of rough and providing they've got the data, they can actually work out what mine it's come from. Yeah, that, and that's, the, that's they've nice. got to have the data. They've got to have the data first, and but but they you know GIA is is st starting to amass the data from different mines. So um, and and of course with the evolution of blockchain technology, mm -hmm. and for those of your listeners who don't quite understand what blockchain is, it's basically um, think of a ledger, think of a big old-fashioned leather ledger book that someone's great grandfather used to have with a, pe a quill pen writing stuff in. It's an electronic version of that. It records stuff. It, and, and in the case of diamonds, it can record all that information about a diamond. It can record who owned it, where it's come from, uh, what mine it's from, uh, who's cut it, uh, where it's gone, who bought it, what retailers uh, handled it, et cetera, et cetera. A passport, isn't it? From the mine to the ring. Yeah, Brett, that's a very good analogy. If you open a passport, you can see what country someone's been to by the stamps. That's uh, that's a good analogy. Yeah, I might use that one. Thank you. Great yeah, charge. Um, so one of the problems with diamonds has been provenance. Now, back in the days when the beers controlled the industry, which they did up until only what was it, twelve or thirteen years ago, mm. um, you know, people just accepted that the beers, the diamonds had come from a de beers mine. The beers were sort of vaguely responsible. They were nice South African people that, you know, that that wouldn't that were very philanthropic and uh, the, the Oppenheimers, several, several members of that family whom I know personally, uh, you know, they're a very um, philanthropic family who've, who've done a great deal of good for the people of South Africa the, and the indigenous peoples of South Africa. And, and so we just accepted that diamonds were, they were okay. They came from the biz mine. Now, what, what's happened in, in the last few decades is that there's been terrible uh, wars in Africa and there have been diamonds discovered in other parts of the world, like Australia and Russia and Canada. Um, and De Beers eventually lost control of the sector. And the beginning of the end, actually, was the was the uh, the mine um, in um, in the Kimberleys here in Australia, uh, where massive amounts of diamond was was found. Only a small amount, fine quality, but we we became very overnight one of the largest producers of diamond in the world. And, and we started with uh, De Beers, but we, Australia eventually uh, went on, on its own way. And that was the beginning of the end of the De Beers cartel. There, there's all sorts of other stuff that happened, like the, there was a challenge with the European Union. They, uh, there were some trade practices issues, et, et cetera. But anyway, they lost control. And then uh, all sorts of um, activities took place, particularly in Africa, in war-torn countries where diamonds were used by uh, various uh, dark forces to raise cash to fund mm -hmm. their, their, their activities, as you all know. That famous film with, with um, DiCaprio um, made us all aware of it overnight. And so, um, you know, young people, Gen Y, Gen Z um, people are now 
um, really interested in the history of stuff, you know, not, not just with, with jewellery, but also, you know, they buy a luxury good a handbag. They want to know the crocodile has not come from a farm where they're badly treated, that sort of stuff. Mm. Uh, I might be wrong with this, but one of the big luxury companies, I think LVMH, ended up selling all their crocodile farms and started farming their own crocodiles because there was an issue and it got out, got out in the media. And so I, I can't remember which company it was, so don't quote me, but I think it might have been LVMH. There's a there's a change in in demand Attitude. and mm. and and so provenance is important. Uh, also, uh, are diamonds a good investment? Let me ask you both a question, Laura and Brett. Do you think diamonds are a good investment? I told my husband they are. <laughs> um, no, is I think they are. Before or after he bought you the, the ring? <laughs> before, <laughs> definitely, and after every day. Um... Oh, sweet, sweet. <laughs> no, oh. but yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I certainly agree there. Like, it's, it's my livelihood, but so I've got a biased opinion. But, uh, but yeah, of course I do. Of course I do. And, and I've, I've seen the ladies that which I've, when I'm doing remodeling work and they're bringing in their stones from however long ago and, and they are worth more now than then. But, uh, but yeah, then there's the other scale of things like the much higher end diamonds. There's plenty of people making a lot of money investing in these, you know, like we're talking color stones now. Yeah, okay. So, well, th thank you for answering that, my question. Um, I, I, there is no doubt that um, the diamonds do present a, an opportunity for storage of wealth. Now, storage doesn't mean making a profit necessarily. It just means a storage of wealth. Now, the problem is, and always has been, not just re now or, or recently, but for going back hundreds of years, how the hell do you sell a diamond? What do you do? At that value, how on earth do you sell a diamond? Exactly. Do you, you know, there are pawnbrokers, there are, wheeler dealers there are merchants upstairs in buildings in the city um, and then of course there are auction houses like me like i used to be um, mm. now um, i'm going to say that the auction houses you know they're wonderful institutions and they provide great service but their transaction fees are sort of up around 50 percent if you include the buyer's premium the seller's commission etc um, and and so the tra the cost of of, of, of of breakering the diamond is massive Mm. Um, and, and if you go to the pawnbrokers or the wheeler dealers, they traditionally offer you about 25 to 30% of the replacement value. Mm. Now, this, this is the problem, always has been the problem. I am seeking to change that with yourdiamonds.com. Mm -hmm. uh, at the end of this year, we will launch an online auction trading platform uh, from uh, our business, which we plan to headquarter in New York at the end of the year. Um, and that platform will be if I can use a sort of cliched term, a, a democratized uh, platform where anybody can buy or sell a diamond. The transaction mm. fees will be absolutely minute. Um, the buyer's premium of 5%. Um, the trade will not pay any commission. The trade will pay, will be able to sell through that platform for zero commission, but there'll be a flat fee of $350 US per diamond. Uh, and uh, members of the public will pay 5% commission uh, and 1% for insurance. So the total, the maximum tra transaction charge will be 11% or for a dealer, as little as 5%. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so um, the transaction charge is so little, it should increase the realizable price. Um, so as that if you go to Sotheby's or Christie's or you know, any of the other auction houses, the lesser ones, you're up for about 25% plus tax uh, buyer's premium. Well, if you 
paying 5% buyer's premium, it's very easy to do the math. Uh, you're 20% better off. So, I mean, that should immediately lift prices by 20%. Mm. Uh, but, but also, it, it, this training platform will make life a lot more interesting and fun for buyers all over the world. It's a global business. Um, the diamonds can be beautifully described now with reporting uh, information. Um, and, and so uh, that's one of the solutions. Um, and then finally, without wishing to bore you all senseless, the, <laughs> the, the, the other problem in the industry, and, and Brett, you'll be aware of this, um, how do you price a diamond? How does the trade price a diamond? What benchmarks are there? Um, yeah. So you, you go to, to the big ones like Rappaport, uh, which I've been doing since 1978. Can you believe it? I know I look a lot younger, but... Um, um, but <laughs> you must uh, have been an infant. <laughs> I was just a schoolboy. And, uh, and anyway, anyway the, the, um, so those, those reports still come out weekly. Um, they're a PDF. Uh, they're emailed to you. Or you can go online and you can look at various um, online instant things like a calculator. But, the, but these benchmarks that are produced by the likes of Rappaport, they, no, they're, they're opaque, they're subjective, uh, they involve human interference. Now, I'm not, I'm not gonna be negative about Rappaport, they are a wonderful institution and, and Martin Rappaport is a legend and they've achieved great things, but, um, and, and they are without doubt the market leader. But I, I just, these numbers, um, Although they're used by a lot of people in the trade, no one quite understands what they are or how they're uh, determined. Mm. Um, so, look, we're, we're taking data from all over the place, different sources. We've got 10 years of auction data from around the world. We're acquiring data from uh, a company in Israel called IDEX, who is a competitor to Rappaport. We are acquiring data from other wholesale asking price platforms, and we're producing a whole new concept in pricing benchmarks so is that you'll be able to uh, work out what the, the exact auction market for any diamond is as of now, this minute in real time. We call that the spot market price calculator. Or if you're a wholesaler, um, Brett, you've, you've got a customer that wants a, a one carat 50 blah, blah, blah stone um, and they want a quote, uh, or, or you've got a, a, a jeweler, the customer of yours, I'm not quite sure what your business is, but you need to know in an instant to give a quote. Well, mm -hmm. with us, you'll be able to get your phone out, you put the information in, and in five seconds, it will give you an average global asking price wholesale for that diamond. You'll be able to press, click on a button and get um, the history of that diamond, of how it's performed over the last five years. Likewise, yeah, wow. And, and, and the future, we, we, we've, we've worked out a way of predicting oh, the wholesale so price for diamonds going forward. Oh, fan that's fantastic. Because I was, I was going to ask, it must be, and Brett, you can chime in here too, because it must be so hard for a jeweler who's, who's maybe not a gemologist and doesn't have the training in diamonds, who's obviously being asked to quote for a stone, they would be gauging the price based on what they currently buy it from, which is from a supplier's pricing book or you know maybe from one particular source of information as opposed to what it sounds like you're bringing to the table which is benchmarking the average across the board they're going to actually have a really nice fair price point to work with exactly they, they will have information at their fingertips you know the jewelers of, 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 of Australia will be able to very quickly determine the facts it's it's look it's a tool um, the ability to create algorithms 
based on digital technology that was never available before, these problems just go away. And, and, and we have sought to solve these problems and make life a lot easier for the diamond jewellery trade, for, right along the supply chain. Um, we'll be selling privately owned diamonds, diamonds from Surratt po uh, Polishers, diamonds from a, there's a big bank that we're talking to at the moment that has a large inventory of diamonds they repossessed. Um, and, and so all sorts of people will be able to sell their diamonds on that platform. So um, right now, um, the, the, there is an estimated trillion dollar plus in, in secondhand jewellery mm. held by baby boomers. Baby boomers born between 1946 and 1964. Now, these baby boomers are all um, sort of entering the, the twilight years of their lives. A lot of them have already died, but they're, you know, they are, they're now planning the, the handing over of their estates to their beneficiaries or, or to other people, or they're selling stuff to fund their, their, their um, retiring years. Yeah. Um, now that trillion dollars worth of goods uh, is going to come on, the, is, is going to require valuation advice, uh, uh, estate planning, uh, liquidation services, all, the, all those re remaking, recycling uh, over the next decade or two. It's a massive uh, thing that, that we must be aware of. De Beers are very aware of this. I've had conversations with De Beers. They're watching it very closely. De, De Beers are very interested in what we're doing, for example, uh, and what others are doing. But so what, what we've done is we've introduced these tools so that a retailer can say, okay, I'm here to sell goods out of my window. This is what I'm here to do. How do I do it better than I've done it before? After what's happened over the last 12 months, what can I do? So I, I'm going to be encouraging the trade to uh, enter the trade-in business. Now, at the moment, if you walk into a retailer's shop, the retailer says, we don't deal in second-hand goods. And that's because they don't, know, they don't know how to price them. They don't know how to resell them. It's, it's, a, it's a, a mystery to a lot of people. Now, if yeah. they have our tool, um, their spot, spot market price, uh, diamond spot market price calculator, in a few seconds, they can work out what a customer's jewellery is worth. They might have to do a bit of eye grading because a lot of jewellery has, hasn't been graded. But, you know, they can say, well, that's a, 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 a 1950s semi-modern cut diamond. It's about one and a half carats. It looks like it's coloured. You know, they'll eye grade it. I mean, anybody can do that. And that doesn't matter if there are a few grades out. Um, and they put it into the calculator and they'll get a current auction value. So they then decide, we'll give you a trade-in on the piece in the window, which is what they, they're there to do, sell those retail pieces. Um, and every Thursday, our logistics partners will collect from jewellers all over the world, every Thursday, their trade-ins, if they want to sell them. And those trade-ins will go to the next available auction uh, and we'll send them a check. Now, if the if the if the, the the jeweler has, you know, done a big deal and they're short of cash, we'll we'll do a cash advance on that trade-in. So we pick it up on Thursday. By the following Wednesday, we'll we'll advance some fifty percent uh, of the value of that trade-in. Um, and 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 if you if you've got a, a jewelry shop or a chain of jewelry shops, you go and see a, um, a smart young marketing person like Laura Moore, and um, you go and, and, and uh, next thing you've got a, a media campaign promoting the fact that you will accept trade-ins. Mm. So all the millennials, the Gen Y, the Gen Z, 
when they, they, they're receiving these goods from their parents or grandparents, they don't know what to do with it. They don't want it. They like the idea of recycling. They might come and see Brett or one of his, colleague, one of his uh, colleagues and have something remade. That's possible. Um, but they're more likely to, to want the lovely thing on, in the window for $10,000 and they've got something that's worth three as a trade-in uh, and they'll, they'll go and do the deal. Now, at the moment, that $10,000 piece of jewellery is not going to be bought by the millennial because they don't have the cash. But if they can trade something in, different deal. And you're so right too. There'll be a glut of this type of product in not too many years' time, if not already, because not only are this, you know, obviously is this demographic aging and therefore retiring, and they they don't just have one or two pieces of jewelry either. They lived through decades that were very wealthy in many cases and have often a lot of incredible pieces. So it's gonna, yeah, it's gonna completely, and as you said too, the consumer wanting to, uh, I suppose, focus more on recycled product or remade product, that, that just changes the mindset as well with them embracing either estate jewelry and wearing estate jewelry or using estate jewelry to create their own piece. I, yeah, this is a huge tool for the industry. I think so. Mm. Yeah. And there are plenty of jewelers out there now who only want to work with recycled metals as well as you know recycled stones and then some of the i think it's it's still coming here i think it's bigger overseas already like the diamond merchants that i'm friends with in antwerp they're already starting to deal in the second-hand goods uh just to sharpen their pencil and their price points and to move more stock so it's uh, I think we're always that little bit behind so it's it's coming brett do you get questions from your customer about sell them wanting to sell their pieces to you yeah. to yep yeah. yeah all the time all the time yeah. trading in metal and stones where something new all the time yeah and, I, and I've, I've got other sort of jeweler friends who the same you know they've said said that they often will turn people away because it's not actually something that they want to deal with or know enough about the piece to be able to confidently buy it and you know have their money returned so um yeah fascinating tim very interesting thank you thank you so so yeah the, these products have been two years in the making um, and we're just on the final home run now. The, um, the apps that we've built will be launched on the 12th of July. Uh, and, but we go live before that. We've been very lucky in that um, a, a finance company has instructed us to sell five uh, Australian pink diamonds from uh, originally from the Argyle mine. Um, and so we decided to have what what's something that's never been done before. We're having a, 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 an international public tender. Um, these five diamonds are sold uh, uh, by the mortgagee in, um, in possession. Um, in, that's a legal term for the company that's owed the money. Uh, they've taken possession of the goods uh, and they're liquidating them to pay back the debt. And so um, uh, we've just by complete chance, a couple of other stones have turned up and, and so but, but we've decided to make it into a great big event and uh, so we're calling for entries and uh, we're, we're inviting the trade who have customers who've got these diamonds. They've, these diamonds have been around for over 30 years. You remember the Argyle mine shut in November but it's been going for I think it's 30, 32 years is it? Um, and a vast number of diamonds have been sold over that period of time um, and so um, there are a lot of Pink, valuable pink diamonds out there, um, but there's no way that people can sell them at the moment. 
Mm. Um, and, and, and that's a problem. You know, there, there's this amazing sort of uh, noise out there on the street that pink diamonds are a great investment. But how do you realise on your investment? How do you sell it and, and, and make, a, make the money that everyone says you, you'll make that's when you right. sell them? Mm. Um, and, and so there is no way of doing that at the moment. So we think this tender idea is a really interesting idea. It's not an unusual way for the industry to, to deal in diamonds. There are tenders. Uh, the big diamond mines have tenders. Uh, the Argyle mine has always had an annual tender. But there's never been a public tender before. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we're, we're inviting the jewellery trade to um, put their thinking caps on. And if they've got clients that they think might be interested in selling, uh, they can refer the business to us and we will give them a large share of the seller's commission as, as an introductory commission. Mm -hmm. uh, but they obviously have to make some money out of it. We'd like them to come along as our partner. Uh, we'll provide the pretty expensive project. I mean, we're investing about $50,000 in this project. Um, the, mm -hmm. There'll be a, 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 a private viewing by, by appointment only in uh, Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide and Perth in the boardrooms of Grant Thornton accountants. They are our accountants. So we've, we've organised for a day in each city to show the diamonds. People can come in and they can put a sealed bid in, which goes into a tender box. Uh, and the sealed bid is opened on the 1st of July in the presence uh, of a, um, a, a senior member of the community yet to be, um, soon to be advised. Yeah, so that that's we're we're calling on 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 um, consignments of pink yeah. diamonds from anybody who's interested in selling. So that means anyone who's listening today actually can can contact you and submit their stones or their customer stones. Correct. Wow, that's very cool. And we'll we'll value it for them. Um, we'll um, we'll charge um, a very low uh, to the trade. The commission is very low. Um, we, we, this is not like our auctions. It, it's it's a dip, totally separate standalone project, but we will charge a commission to the trade. Um, but if they introduce their customers' uh, goods, well, then we'll give them a share of the, of the commission. Um, and and we, we pick up anywhere in Australia. The goods are fully insured. It's 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 um, all the the loose ends have been um, been tied up, and uh, I, I can talk to people about it and take them through it. Fantastic. Well, Tim, if they want to contact you about it, what's your best email address to do that? Oh, well, look, I've only got one email address. It's tim.goodman, G-O-O-D-M-A-N, at fineartboss, that's fineart, F-I-N-E-A-R-T, boss, B-O-U-R-S-E.com. Or they could just pick up the phone and ring me on 0481 Perfect. Well, we'll make sure that those details are on our um, on our details inside the podcast listing as well, so that people can, you know, access uh, you and and this information. And and wow, what a fantastic few, well, many projects you've got for the jewelry industry that you're launching now and in the future. Very exciting. I've, I've probably confused the, the hell out of everybody. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's exciting. Well, your website is live now. Um, so people can but, head to your website, yourdiamonds.com. Yes. yes. Yeah, yourdiamonds.com. Well, thank you so much, Tim. It has been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. And um, we really enjoyed hearing so much about, about your history and your the future of the jewellery industry with technology with you. Yeah, it's been wonderful to talk to you, Tim. I, I know I just sat here and listened to a lot today because it's uh, 
I felt like I was stepping back in time. And as Laura said, there's certainly a movie in the works because I could visualize all you're talking about as well. So start jotting it down and do some storyboards. Hey, thanks, Brett. Good to meet you. And thanks for having me, Laura. I love it. Thank you so much, Tim. We'll chat to you again. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks for joining us on the Jewelers Podcast. If you'd like to join us on the Jewelers Podcast, head to our socials and send us a message. And don't forget to register your buyer's ticket for the Jewellery Industry Fair in August in Melbourne this year. Head to www.jewelleryindustryfair.com. We'll see you there.